Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1991 film Daughters of the Dust. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? Doing great. Barrett, um, what is your history with this film? I think, I think this is a recent watch for you because I believe when we were going through the sight and sound list in 2022, this may be the only movie that I had seen that you hadn't on that list. Is that correct? Well, that is correct. Um, but I'm going to answer a question you didn't ask me, and that is, Barrett, what other experiences do you have of films based on this particular population and, and geographical area? And the answer to that question would be there was a 1974 film by Martin Rich called Conrack, uh, starring John Voight. And I vividly remember seeing that in the theater. It was based on Pat Conroy's um, memoir called The Water is Wide, which was about his uh, stint as a teacher on one of the islands with the Gullah people. So uh, I have a I have a little little bit of background in encountering this particular uh, population, but no, I had not heard of or seen this film before the Sight and Sound list came out. Um, so I watched this in spring of two thousand one, which is my first year of graduate school. I took a course uh, in African American cinema class. Um, taught by two professors at the U and we watched this and it was paired with uh, a movie called Sankofa from 1993, um, which is a um, uh, more rooted in both the, uh, the U S and Africa. Um, uh, mm. But it touched on a lot of similar themes uh, about this movie. Um, so I have I have certain memories uh, about this, but it was really interesting to rewatch this and realize as I was watching it, certain images came back that I had forgotten about. But um, but they came back. For example, the um, I think the enduring thing was the the idea of like the the indigo dye mm-hmm. being like this this stain that remains even decades after um after slavery like i remember looking at nana's hands and um and them talking about how you know that that would obviously um people were who were you know uh enslaved had uh a lot of physical you know literal physical scars but i remember thinking about the ink as such an interesting thing because that hadn't occurred to me um that that would be this thing that would um that would remain um what were your first impressions or expectations walking into this film yeah, that's a good question. I um, it was a film where I didn't I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and it's interesting. I, I my wife and I were recently in uh, Washington D.C. went to the National Museum of African American History, and there was a poster for the film there. Um, so you know, sometimes sometimes posters will give you certain expectations, right? Um, and it was uh, don't don't remember which whose face is prominent on the poster. I can't remember if it's Euler or Viola. But so I expected, and but also based on the title, I expected a, a narrative that was focused on the experience of, of the women, and that was the case. Um, but I didn't know what to expect in terms of narrative structure. Um, I expected location filming, so I feel you know it sort of kind of lived up to that. But I, I really otherwise, I really didn't know what the story was going to be. I guess in general, I was, for whatever reason, expecting kind of a more straightforward chronology. Um, I had no idea what the time frame was going to be. So maybe the best answer, Sam, is it's not, I wasn't really sure what, what I was expecting and it wasn't what I expected. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I I also um, remember thinking about this movie as uh, 
really this long conversation about different responses to both the mainland culture and then also like what are the things that um that remain mm-hmm. uh from you know the the ties to uh sort of pre-slavery culture to 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 African culture and I you know I was probably 22 or 23 when I when I watched this and I was I was really enamored um by this idea that the, of um and the in in the class class I took we talked a lot about this like the elements of um of African culture that were maintained and Nana mm-hmm. talks about this, you know, like, like the work one has to do to maintain and remember and recollect uh, and keep those connections. Um, but so much of this movie centers on this idea of, you know, going to the mainland and going North and does that move, which is a move that they're choosing to do. Does that, you know, in what ways does that sever ties with that past? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know what it made me think a lot about was another class i think i was taking that same semester on uh native american history and we had all you know we we talked a lot about sort of this idea of like um in the sort of broader general cultural mindset like to to be a and i'm using quotes around this to be a real indian <laughs> meant mm-hmm. that you had to like be like a almost comic book version of a 19th century native american and if you modernized well then you weren't real anymore and mm-hmm. it made me think of this as just like mm-hmm. like it, you know th- this this question and this is a concern that that uh multiple characters either express or embrace this idea of like by by leaving the island are we necessarily ceasing to be this thing or are there ways that we can hold on to this because one of the one mm-hmm. of the the factors of the folks living on this island the Gullah people is that um they're a a little less touched by the mainland like like they they've, they've had this this um a little bit more separation from that which allowed them to maintain some of these things and to develop linguistically you know their their own uh you know their own their own dialect and those things and and what are those pieces that get lost so you know i i think a lot about this in terms of uh threatened cultures i don't uh maybe like like how how do you maintain but still allow yourself to modernize and embrace other things that 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 come from connecting with other things do you have to remain isolated to remain pure is probably not the right word but that's that's a problematic word but but you know know what i'm saying like like i remember thinking a lot about that when i watched this movie initially because it tied so much into what we were talking about in the the native american history class and I think it's complicated too, Sam, by the fact that the tie to the past is the tie to Africa, but it's also the tie to slavery, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's the, and, and in a sense, they're only on these islands because they've been enslaved, you know, which is why the narrative of the slaves in chains, you know, walking back to Africa is, is, is so is so important. And at one point, Viola says um, to Mr. Sneed, you know, she says it's 50 years since slavery, but here we still give our children. And then she has this list of all these all these names. And and for her to think about the past, it's really more to think about having been enslaved. Um, and of course, there's other things going on with Viola in terms of her religion as well. But I, so I think that's why, you know, for Nana, staying on the island, reaffirming the past is, of course, it's about family, which is another key issue. Mm-hmm. But it's also about 
connecting with the African ancestors. It's almost like if you move off the island, you're going to lose that essential connection to, to who you are. But for others, no, the island is more, this is a remainder, a reminder of a, pl- of a place that we were brought against our will, and we have to break free of that. So, the, so I think even the relationship to the past, and of course, the relationship even within the family is complicated. Uh, and that's one of the things I love about this film. It's just, it's so layered with mm-hmm. all these various levels of conflict and resolution. And, and Dash does such a great job of being fair to all of those viewpoints. I think that's the other remarkable thing about the film. Yeah, I think I forgot how much this was a movie about people having conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and and that's really what it is. Um, which leads me to a question I have for you, which is as an auditory experience, how did you watch this movie? And the reason I ask that is because um when you read reviews uh contemporary reviews of this, they often point out that their speak I mean Everybody's speaking English in this movie, but it is a it is the, a Gullah dialect, and it's recorded in a way where it's not always easy to hear what people are saying, and they're speaking with an accent, and they're speaking in a in a in a particular dialect. And Dash made the point to not subtitle this movie. She does twice in the movie. She she subtitles as if to sort of like ease you in, and then and then takes that away. So I'm curious, did you watch this movie with closed captioning or not? Yeah, and I and I and I, and I have to I have to make a caveat there, Sam. I watch everything with closed captions, yes. <laughs> even contemporary American. It's just easier for my old ears. But yes, I did I did watch okay. it with captioning. I, I did I did when I revisited a couple of clips, I did it without the captioning, um, and I was okay. But it's probably because I had already cheated. Okay, it's it, that's interesting. So I did the exact opposite. So I my first watch through, I was like, okay, I'm gonna shut the captions off because I also usually just have captions on. Um, uh, but I was like, okay, I'm gonna shut this off and I'm just gonna experience the movie. Um, and and it was really interesting because you don't. I mean, for one thing, again, they are speaking English, so it's not like this mm-hmm. is impenetrable. But there were definitely moments where I was like, oh, I don't quite know. There were certain things that I didn't that I struggled with. Like I struggled with people's names. Like what was this? And then when I hear a name later, I'm like, well, which person is that? Because I'm because I because I you know, and I'm I'm not good at that with regular people I'm you know in the world with. Um, relationships were a little tricky sometimes. And then when they would refer to off screen events that we didn't see, that was sometimes tricky because if I missed something. Um, but I actually feel like as a whole, like the whole movie, even though I missed some of those detail-y things that first time through, I didn't walk out and say, well, I don't know what that was about, or there's, there were like big questions. So I, and, and, and in the Robert Roger Ebert review, he actually talks about this as sort of a feature and not a bug of the movie. He says, uh, the fact that some of the dialogue is deliberately difficult is not frustrating, but comforting. We relax like children at a family pic- picnic, not understanding everything but feeling at home with the expression of it. Um, and, and that, that actually, I read that after I had watched the, watched the movie without the titles. And I was like, yes, that actually does sort of describe it. I feel like I'm kind of attending this thing and I don't always know the story that I'm hearing referenced or I'm hearing glancingly, but I, what I, the thing that I noticed, and, and maybe this is something I need to do more anyhow, is I ended up paying so much more attention to the performances and the emotions of the performers mm-hmm. because I didn't always exactly know what we were talking about right away. Um, 
and and I feel like I watched the movie in a different way and I watched the actors in a different way. And this is a superbly acted film. So like that was kind of great. And I so I feel like I was connecting with characters emotionally more because there were moments where I'm like, wait a minute. So how is Hagar related to these people and and whose people are her children and those things? Um, so that actually was kind of great. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing I'll say about that, Sam, is that, um, yeah, you, it, first of all, yeah, it's a very, now, if I say it's a talky movie, that's going to give the completely wrong impression, um, because it, I think it's a very visually rich film, and mm-hmm. yet there's a lot of talk. Um, I took, I, I have about three pages of single space type notes, because I, I just kept, like, transcribing all these long conversations, and we can get to that later, but one thing I will say is that there's a lot of talk, but, and again, this isn't to say the film is repetitious in any kind of a tiresome way, but a lot of the talk is about the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, you kind of keep coming back to the same issues from different perspectives and 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 different people. So even if you miss some of it here, because Nana's always got the same message. I mean, she's really always saying the same thing, but she says it in different ways. And the conflicts play out at different times, but there's still kind of the same conflict. So I think that's one of the, again, one of the strengths of it is that even if you miss some of it the first time around, by the time you get to the end of the film, you're going to know what the basic issues are. Yeah. It's, it's not talky, but it's a, it's conversational. I feel like, like, yeah, you know, and, and that, that becomes, uh, that becomes a big piece of it. Um, I, I, the last probably 10 episodes, I keep talking about how movies open. So I'm going to talk about this movie opens. How does this movie announce itself? Um, one of the things I noticed, and this is in part a factor of this is a uh, a, a fairly low budget movie. This is $800,000 in 1991, which is not a lot of money to make this movie. But when you look at the opening credits, um, there, there are, this is a movie without movie stars. Uh, yeah. and, and, and so the credits are just blocks of, I think it might be up to eight people's names at a time in alphabetical order. Which you could say, well, that's because there's no movie stars in it. But to me, it was also like, oh, this is a very like egalitarian democratic movie where like <laughs> like nobody's name is standing out over anybody else's. Um, and you rarely see, you rarely see big block credits like that at the very very start of a film. Um, so like so that jumped out at me right away as mm-hmm. I was thinking about this. I think there's a lot of stage actors in this movie. I was going through and a lot of people in this. A lot of stage acting, but not necessarily a lot of film before or after this. Right, exactly. Uh, there's, I think there were there were uh, like Eula, for example, was both a stage actress and also I think a singer as well, and uh, and a few of the others. But you're right, a lot of them are are not really well known, but their performances are, as you said earlier, they're fantastic performances yeah. and very and very distinctive faces. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of close-ups. Uh, I mean, and the film has a, a nice rhythm of a lot of long shots with a lot of people in, but then a lot of close-ups of these really amazing uh, expressive faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so after those credits, we get, uh, we get a kind of statement of purpose for this movie. You get, um, you get Nana voiceover, which leads you to think, oh, Nana's going to be the narrator of this movie. <laughs> um, so she says, and, uh, as a statement of purpose for this film, I am the first, I am the last, I am the honored, I'm the honored one. And I am the scorned one. I am the whore and the holy one. I am the wife and the virgin. I am the barren one. And uh, many are my daughters. I am the silence you cannot understand. I am the utterance of my name. Um, and as you said, like 
she has a <laughs> Nana has a pretty consistent message through this movie, and we get it at the beginning. Um, yeah. and and like and then we 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 hear her continuing to express that because, um, what's interesting is there's this is a movie full of lots of people with with ideas and different takes on the past. Um, the movie does not start with a lot of people in the Nana camp. <laughs> in terms of thinking about the past um which is interesting it's not like there is this big sort of two sides divide but there's actually many takes on how do we think about this this past and this heritage and uh and this culture and what it means to hold on to that um so as i said nana seems like the narrator and then we get the actual narrator of the movie which is the the um the unborn eula's unborn child mm-hmm. um and the first time through it takes a little bit to figure out wait a minute who is this who is this person talking um but it's definitely a child's voice and then and 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 we get this reoccurring theme um that nana has already stated and i think it gets said by nana again and i think a couple other characters the idea of the last of the old and the first of the new so we have these kind of paired narrators because nana continues to do voiceover in the movie at different times um and and then she also says much later in the movie uh, sort of two people in one body. So so we have these dual narrators representing this connection to the past and this connection to the future, but that those things are also one. And it's 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 really it's it's really a beautiful like um image of of what kind of the idea of this movie. Yeah, and it's it, it's also it also kind of foreshadows the the kind of religious syncretism that the movie ends up ends up creating. So, you know, Nana's first line, as you already quoted, was I am the first and the last, which that's a fairly familiar uh, mm-hmm. sentiment for, for a Christian audience. Uh, and then when she's talking to them about the journey they're about to make, she says, uh, you ain't going to no land of milk and honey. So it's, it, so it's interesting that the film initially sets up or spends quite a bit of time on this opposition between you know, Nana as the voice of a, um, uh, you know, of a kind of a kind of a, of a pagan animistic religion versus Christianity. But the film kind of moves towards a, um, as I said, a kind of a syncretism of, of those of those two things. So it's really interesting. It begins with her. And in some respect, it kind of ends with her. And then it finds a way to resolve the tensions that get engaged along the way. So I want to talk about some of the sort of different views. So this is where we can maybe we, we both, I think, wrote a lot of quotes for this movie. So yes. we can kind of get into this. So the first character we really meet in non-voiceover, I think, is is uh, Viola. Yeah. Um, and she has this great line, which is, again, is her statement of how we think about this. Um, and I love this line. The past is prologue. Yes. Uh, the, the, the first steps towards... Um, <clears throat> The first step starts progress an engraved invitation to the culture, education and wealth of the mainland. So that that's her opening line to Sneed about what she, how she sees what is about to happen. And she's somebody who I think is living in Philadelphia. I think um, I think I read that somewhere. There's all, Dash also wrote a book about this, which is not this story, but is like essentially like a sequel to this story but i think that's where some of the specifics that i as i was reading about characters come from um so she's already been on the mainland um she is a devout christian you can tell um costumes are really interesting in this movie as well so you can tell by the way that she she is dressed differently than anyone else in this movie um uh she seems to have some degree of prosperity 
mm-hmm. you know, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, her dress and in terms of like bringing a photographer with her to, you know, to commemorate this. So she sees herself as somebody who is maybe sees herself as saving her family in a couple different ways, spiritually, but also maybe uh, materially. Like we are going to, we are going to go to this place, the wealth, the culture, the education, you know? So, so she, I, she doesn't overly express that, but that's clearly the role she thinks she's playing a part in, I think. Yes. And it's it's very interesting to me that, you know, this film is, uh, the film is set on an Island and she quotes from Shakespeare's Tempest. Uh, when she quotes uh, what's past his prologue. Um, oh, and, see, I didn't even know that as a Tempest reference. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just and, thought it was a great line. <laughs> a great line, but but in a way, she's sort of um, she's sort of misappropriating it because when you know when when Shakespeare says past his prologue, what it what he what he means is I these characters have kind of been set up for a reckoning, and this is more about. Um, it's prologue in the sense that it's just the it's just the preparation because we're gonna now go in a go in a different direction. And of course, for her, you know, to go to the mainland is is actually a move towards salvation. She says when she she says that she fell into the arms of the Lord when she left the island, and the child asks her who's out there, and she says she says Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God. Uh, and she's as you said, she's very eager for Nana. She says Nana needs to put her soul into the arms of the Lord, and she's old and frightened. She knows nothing of the world, and so she comes back both, both religious and worldly at the same time, uh, kind of representing that uh, that promise of prosperity. So it's really interesting to think about her as we will, in, in, in contrast with with Yellow Mary, mm-hmm. uh, another woman who's come back from from the world outside the island. Right. Well, let's talk about Yellow Mary because she's the other person on the boat, um, and she has each of them have a companion. Um, yeah. I think Trula is a very interesting companion because it's who she is 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 barely explained, if and maybe only glancingly. So I'm wondering if in the the book that Dash right because like when I read stuff about it, people say like, "Oh, this is her essentially her like her lover," but like. Mm-hmm. There's maybe one moment in the movie where where you're like, well, maybe, um, you know, but but she definitely has this other character who is from the outside of this and says very little and is literally stands on the outside of other than when when she's with the children she's participating, but when it's like the women of the family talking, Trula is way on the outside of those scenes if she's if she's near them at all. Um, and it's interesting because when, when they get to the Island, uh, we hear the Hagar and a couple of other people talk about yellow Mary as a ruined woman. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it's interesting even in her dress. So she is wearing a, uh, so many of the characters are wearing all white, especially the, the young women are wearing all white and yellow Mary is like wearing a, it's like ivory or almost like, like like yellowed white dress in a kind of way. So it, the color is just a little bit different. Um, so she always stands out in scenes that she's in uh, a little bit different. Um, and she has a, uh, at least at the beginning, has a more negative view of this island, right? She talks about it as a desolate place. And Eula says, I think it's beautiful. She says uh, the only way for the only way for things to change is to keep moving. So she's like, well, I'm after I leave here, I'm going to go to Nova Scotia. 
she sort of has this this um thing which which when i was first watching it made me think like why is she even here she seems to not want to be here she seems to not like this place she seems to have um you know again at least initially like embraced life beyond the island so why is she here and then we come to learn more about her as we go yeah, she says at one point to Eula, this must be the most desolate place on earth. You live like savages back over here. Well, but I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, Yellow Mary is one of those. Okay, so so let's make a let's make a brief connection here to to Ladybird. Um, maybe the island is her Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 the family is. You know, it, it, it's it's it is about that fundamental pull of family that you really cannot. Um, you can't get away from and and to go back to trula which is actually the actress's name as well who plays trula um yeah so so you've got trula as a companion it, it, it appears the implication is that they're lovers they embrace at one point um but she also says at the same time that she wishes she could get herself a good man and the way i read yellow mary is that like a lot of women who have been abused by men she's finding comfort in the companionship of another woman but it may not necessarily indicate a commitment one way or the other you know i think she's 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 somebody who has very strong survival skills and so it may be that for this period in her life the companionship of trula is what she really needs to kind of recover from what she's been through mm-hmm. uh, you know recently so that's kind of the way I, I i read her and i think it's interesting to think about the way in which yellow mary is both in conflict with hagar you know, who is very conventional in her moral view and wants to call her, you know, she's a ruined woman, et cetera. But she and Hagar are also so similar because at one point Hagar says, I will lock horns with anybody that tries to hold me back. And then you've got Yellow Mary saying, I don't let anybody tell me who I am or how I should feel about me. So mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting that these characters who want to, who are in so much in conflict are actually, and this is not maybe surprising, they're actually rather, rather similar. And of course, Yellow Mary is of the family. Hagar is in the family by marriage. Mm -hmm. And that's another difference. Well, I mean, it can also, and again, this is not expressed in the movie, but, but it, thinking about human nature that they see each other as like mirrors or alternate paths. Like this is me. If I stayed, this is me. If I left, you know, kind of thing. Uh, there, there's that potential in there because you're right. They are, they're very uh, similar in that way. And then obviously, Yellow Mary and and Eula have such a end up having such a deep connection because they have. Um, and we'll talk more about this. They've experienced similar traumas in their life, you know. And um, and and Yellow Mary becomes a connection point for Eula to think about that. Um, we haven't talked about a lot of the male. There's not. I mean, there are a lot of men in this movie but um in terms of the roles that they play um eli i think has a really interesting relation to the past because he is a grandson of nana right Mm -hmm. yeah okay um and in him talking with i mean so his wife is pregnant and he's not sure if it's his child or the child of rape um and uh i love the scene where he is talking with nana about like almost feeling betrayed by like like it's like you know, he says, like, when we grew up, we believed in the things you said and the things you did. We believed in the bottle tree and we believed in all of these things. And he's like, and none of those things could protect us, you know, because look at look at where I am now. Those things were supposed to protect us. And then, you know, we see him um, destroying the bottle tree 
uh, a scene or two later, right? So there's this this sense of rejection because he feels like he uh, like he believed in it and it didn't and it didn't serve him. So so there's this sort of uh, potential for a total rejection of the past and and leaving the island maybe is uh, is for him a version of that. Yeah, I, I think that you know yeah Eli has that has that re- rejection of of what he thinks of as her magic and there's other other characters um Viola and Hagar who both you know talk about what Nana is doing as a as a kind of animism but it's interesting when you see what Nana actually says she never she never makes that claim for herself um she's got a, this lovely speech with, with Eli where she says it's up to the living to keep in touch with the dead, Eli. Man's power don't end with death. We just move on to another place. And she says the ancestors in the womb, they're the same, which is, of course, why the unborn child is so important. Those in the grave, like those who are across the sea, they're with us. Call on your ancestors. Let them guide. You need their strength, Eli. I'm trying to learn you how to touch your own spirit. I'm trying to give you something to take north with you. Call on those old Africans. So I mean, she, she never she never says that she has supernatural powers. It's always about binding the past with the present in order to go into the future, which is why I think what I called syncretism at the end isn't really. You know, I think when she binds the herbs and the dirt together with the Bible, it's it's not necessarily about a religious syncretism. It's more about saying you can move on, but you don't have to reject your past in order to do that. And so that, that's what Nan is all about. So I think, in a sense, Eli hasn't really understood. None of them have really understood what Nana is trying to communicate with that tin can. Yeah, you know what? You just pointed to one of my favorite things in this, which is the way that the different ways that that some of these traditions and practices get interpreted by people. Um, because I love it's it's actually when she's talking with Hagar, who also is really opposed to what she calls nana's hoodoo right right like it's like like that i don't want she says i don't want my daughters growing up with that mess which is interesting because her daughters are basically grown um that at least the ones that, that that we identify but um when nana talks with her about um about the bottle tree you know she says like I, I never said the souls of the people in the past were in the bottle trees. Like, this is my way to remember them, <laughs> you know? And, and there is the, so there is this sense of like other people have projected things onto those and, and, you know, and, and not in a bad way, but because they needed that for, for the kind of meaning they needed. And she needs the bottle tree for the kind of meaning she needs in the same way. We get two versions of the story of uh, the wanderer the the ship that that the the Ebo people uh came out you know one one is is the the Eula it's kind of the magical realism one of the magical realism moments of the of the movie when Eula is telling the story of the Ebo people and how they got here and then they walked back across the ocean uh, you know on top of the water and we see um Eli actually walking on the water as he goes to that to that mm-hmm. statue in the water and then later we he- hear Bilal say <laughs> you know nobody when they went down in the water they didn't come back up nobody mm-hmm. can walk on water and he's like i was there right like that 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 that's but but it's in it but it's sort of this idea of like the importance of story and how story helps us to 
survive and helps us to endure right so like they needed that story some some of them needed that story for this thing um because so much i mean that, that's i think survive is a word that comes through a lot in this um you know we are the we are those who chose to survive at the, and i think the last lines of the movie about you know are sort of t- speak to that as well yeah, so i, I think it's interesting those traditions having multiple meanings yeah, I didn't realize, so I started doing a little bit of research on the film. I, uh, this is my ignorance of a lot of African-American history. I didn't realize how important the Ebo Landing story is. And that's that, and that's a story that has been told for, you know, now more than 200 years. And so that, that was really interesting. But wh- one other thing I want to say about Nana and, um, you know, what she's up to is, you know, there's a, there's a long tradition, and we don't think this is magical. There's a long tradition of people saving locks of hair, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and so she does this. She adds her hair, and she says she does it because there must be a bond between those who head north and those who remain, as well as with those across the sea. And you you alluded to this too about this idea of living living this double life. Um, and so again, that's that's what she's trying to do with that with those talismans is they are um, trying to create, you know, how do you, how do you create that kind of continuity when you don't necessarily have any kind of an official written record? Um, you know, you don't have anybody keeping track of your history except what you pass on orally or through objects that help to remind people to, to tell those to tell those stories. Well, and, and she even, she, Nana even talks about that. Um, there's a, there's a, this is actually a great moment in the movie you know, in case you were you were wondering, is this a, a a movie centered on centered on women and women's voices? Is the one time you have the patriarch of the family start to make a speech, we get voiceover over top of it with Nana Tipe talking. So it's like like his speech gets gets um, superseded by by Nana's like what she. It's almost like what she's thinking about while he's giving that speech or something. It's it's a very interesting piece of filmmaking there to sort of say like we are keeping women's voices at the center of this, even as the patriarch is talking. Um, but she, but you know, when she talks about like, um, not having, like you said, not keeping records of births and marriages and 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 people yeah. being sold. I mean, that is also like a systematic attempt to. I mean, by not keeping that, it's it is erasing it. You know, right. and so it's like it's like like. And I and that's what I think of every time they talk about being brought over in chains is like that is that is a a symbol of saying can we erase your past right like it is an attempt to 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 dehumanize you but part of dehumanizing you is erasing your past mm-hmm. and and Nana is is trying to help everyone remember as you leave don't do the thing that happened to you don't erase your past as you go like it is nothing is going to hold on to hold on to the past if you don't yourself hold on to it well you know as a kind of an aside to that um sam it's interesting that you mentioned earlier the costumes and those white cotton dresses and of course you know the the these particular people were brought from africa because of their skill in in things like indigo dye raising rice and raising cotton and so it's interesting that they wear these cotton dresses which of course it's incredibly striking uh, throughout the film as, as a kind of um, appropriation, you know, of, of that for which they've been brought to produce as slaves, but now they are pairing it as as uh, as free people. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think it's interesting, like, like Nana, everybody wears white Nana, who is the only person, who, I think, 
well, I guess Bilal too, um, who lived during slavery, doesn't wear white, right? Yeah. She's she basically wears indigo, which you know, like her. I mean, that her the clothes she's wearing have been um, uh, dyed, right? And 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 it sort of matches her hands in that way. So I I also think about the white the people in white as like these are the people who were born free, yeah, sure. you know, and 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 she hasn't. So so she she. And it's, I mean, it's not said, but visual, and I don't know if this is what Dash was thinking, but as I watched it, I'm like, oh, she visually is somebody from something else, right? And and in the same way, her hands can't, that can't be washed away. It's, you even see that in what, in what she wears. She's the, and then the people who come from the mainland also aren't dressed in white. Right, so right. Yellow, Yellow Mary, who's kind of dressed in white, isn't her. The color of what she's wearing stands out. Um, uh, Viola, you know, is, is dressed you know, in, a, in, in very different clothing, uh, you know, throughout it. So that sort of, I think points to that. And, and I think as they, I'm trying to remember as they're getting on the boat at the end, they're no longer wearing white, right. Aren't they dressed right. up in different clothes then? Yeah. 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 Uh, so then this, this film also not only talks about remembering the past, but it also talks, uh, it, it, it builds up to uh, multiple crescendos, but, but Eula's um, speech at the end, you know, speaks to kind of cycles of historical trauma um, where she's, you know, and she's, she's starting to call people out for what they're saying and how they're viewing yellow Mary. And she says, if you say that about yellow Mary, what do you say about me? Right. Because am I also not a ruined woman? And then she has this long speech about basically saying like, um, as long as we have been here, there has never been a pure woman. Um, we believe they ruined our mothers and their mothers. Uh, and deep inside, God can't heal the wounds of our past or protect us from the world that puts shackles on our feet. If you love yourself, then love Yellow Mary. She's a part of you just like your mother. You know. And then she gives the daughters of the dust line, like we are all daughters of the dusty things in Nana's tin. So there is this, 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 um, this sense of like they're, we can never break this cycle of historical trauma if we can't learn to love ourselves and learn to love the yellow Marys, you know, cause we all, cause she's basically saying we're all yellow Marys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, the end of that speech, she says, let's live our lives about living in the fold of old wounds, which, mm-hmm. which I think doubles as both an historical reference, but it's also a reference to, to family conflict. And, and, and I think, you know, she's, and it's interesting that, that Eula, who proclaims this kind of liberation, is the one that ends up staying with Nada. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so she's she's suggesting that, you know, you, you don't have to be stuck in the past to stay where you are. And if you move forward, you can still draw on the past. And so she becomes a really, you know, the child is a bridge in a sense, but Eula is kind of a bridge. And she's both of the new generation, but she's also of Nana's generation as well. And maybe that explains why her unborn child is the child of such hope that you can kind of reconcile these two, these two approaches. Well, cause that's what the child says at the end, when she talks yeah. about who stays, she said, maybe, maybe my mother just had, people say she had too much of Nana in her. Of Nana, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to look at who stays, right? So, so Nana obviously stays. Eli and Eula stay. The 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 unborn child stays. Yellow Mary stays. Yeah. Um. Which so she actually has a, a kind of arc here where where you know where where you you know she for her it is sort of this this return to home. Um. And then lastly, someone we haven't talked about, Iona stays. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh. 
you know, because she's she has this romance with um, I forget. I mean, he's a, a native uh, Native American um, on the island, and he had written her a letter asking her to stay. And he rides up at the end, and she leaves. She's one of Hagar's daughters, and she leaves the ship, and Hagar is held back, and she's allowed. Uh, she's allowed to stay. Um, I think it's uh, St. Julian last child. Yes. Yes. That's a great name too. And And it speaks to something, right? Last child speaks to something. Yeah. He says, I feel that if I lose you, I will lose myself. And that's a lovely, lovely letter he's written her. And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. It's really, well, what is, what does that have to do with the rest of the film? And it's like, well, you know, we're not going to do a whole, we're not going to do a whole thing on how Native Americans were treated, but it's it's a, it's a very interesting little kind of parallel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's also interesting that this is where the movie ends. I like this. So like it, it ends with the with the people who leave leaving on the boat, but we don't see anything else because it does feel like this movie feels like the beginning of something. Yeah, yeah. you know, like 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 we don't. We, we get a, a very little coda at the end just saying like, well, Eli got involved in anti-lynching laws and, you know, I was born and, and I, I, I lived, I was born before Nana passed. That's about all the, all the um, coda we get at the end. Um, and it feels like, and, and this is maybe where we can get to Julie Dash a little bit. It feels like, oh, this is the beginning to her continuing to tell these stories. And then Julie Dash doesn't really get to make a lot. I mean, she's yeah. a lot else after this. Um, and, you know, I, we, we should note this this film has the distinction of being the first film directed by an African-American woman to get a wide release theatrically, um, uh, which is 1991, which is, you know, we're not talking about like first to get an Oscar, not, but just to get release, you know, in, in a wide way, um, which is shocking. I mean, it's that that it would that it would take that long you know because mm-hmm. you think about you think about like the 1970s and all i mean there's a yeah. lot of black filmmakers in the 70s you're gordon parks and gordon parks jr and people you know they're like that whole movement and there's not there's not black women filmmakers getting to make things that have any kind of big release yeah no that's 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 really amazing and unfortunately uh and yeah just just said that she felt like hollywood didn't really kind of know what to do with her you know, and she's had a career, but um, make, making making shorts and directing for TV, but she's never really been able to get another another feature film done. Um, one of the reasons why this film kind of became uh, re- interesting was renewed in it. Part of the reason is um, because because <laughs> Beyonce uh, mm-hmm. did the album Lemonade, and there are um, images in the uh, in in the in the uh, the, what's called the visual album uh there's particularly a song called uh, love drought that and i actually watched it to kind of check this out and the costuming and the setting in that uh in that video is clearly influenced by daughters of the dust so a lot of people kind of credit beyonce for bringing the film kind of back to uh to prominence it was remastered and, and reissued but it's always had a strong critical reputation it just maybe it came out either too late or too too early uh if if it if it come out sooner you know if you imagine this has been made 20 years later there might have been options for uh other ways for her to to make films can we could say that but also think about 
89 to 91 is this like explosion of independent filmmaking and people mm. using that as a launching off point. It's like, yeah. isn't that the perfect time to make this movie? That's true. I mean, she was, you know, she won, I think they got uh, some awards at Sundance. I think he got the cinematographer, got cinematography at Sundance. You're right. I mean, it's, it's hard to understand why it didn't. It yeah. Didn't yeah. It, it's hard. Through. And at the same time, seems very like this is what america is <laughs> like like yeah, like yeah. it's not surprising but it's also like how can that be you know um we should talk this is a you talked a little bit about the visual this is a beautiful looking film um what's interesting about it is it's it's not vibrantly colored like like it, it, mm. the the color of this movie is so it, it's interesting how white it is like the sky is white the sand is white which creates this beautiful backdrop for like seeing the, when you see vegetation, when you see people in it, like they stand out, like there is something that um, I don't think this movie has a blue sky in it at any point. Mm. You know, like, like, like I have a very distinct, and this is actually one of the other things I remember from watching this, you know, 22 years ago was like, I, I feel like I could draw a picture of what this movie looks like and it would be white and white. And then you, and, and then you would start to put things on a white on white background. Like, like, is there something um, striking about the way that this movie looks? I mean, it looks like I'm, I can't quite think of the painter I'm thinking of, but it, but it looks like a, yeah, it, 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 there's something painterly about, about some of the choices they did visually with that. Well, I'm, I'm, I'll make another very strange connection to our last film, a film before, uh, our last one, which is Vagabond, where you have uh, Mona coming out of the sea. Um, and these characters, in, in all those white dresses, it's almost like, and then you have the sea in the background, it's almost like they're sea foam. It's almost mm -hmm. like they, they, they've emerged, they, you know, it's a reminder that they've emerged from, from the sea. So the cotton has both that terrestrial reference, but also that kind of um, oceanic reference at the same time. Absolutely. Another thing we should say about this movie is, you know, we talked about how it it really centers uh, the female voices, right? But it also punctuates these conversations with female spaces. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I, I, we see multiple things of food prep when they're the 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 one woman is teaching the kids about gumbo and how to make gumbo. Um, it's one of the few things I really miss about living in the South is, is, uh, is when I, when I saw the big, when I saw the gumbo and I saw the big plates of crab and shrimp and I thought that's, mm -hmm. that is what living in the South was like. And I kind of, I deeply miss that, but, but, but that, that, that those, that, that we're seeing those spaces and the movie takes time to stop and show you that as well. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question. I used to ask a lot. If you were to pair this movie with something, what would, what would be your, what would be your pairing? I have two that are. One I think is 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 maybe a little more obvious, and one is a little stranger that I think would make good pairs with this. Well, aside from uh, Conrack, which I've, which I've already mentioned, um, that's a very good question. Okay, so I, I'm going to go kind of a little bit weird. Uh, Eat, drink, man, woman. Okay, comes to mind the Ang Lee film, just sure. because maybe because what you just said, I thought about how what, how much of a role food plays in this film, but it's but that's also a film about family conflicts and cultural values so the angle is eat drink man woman okay so so the first movie i think would be interesting to watch with this um is the 2003 sarah polly movie woman talking which is also oh, about yeah. women talking about and it's a very different story but yeah, about like you're right you're right do we yeah. leave and what does it mean to leave or what oh, does it mean great, to stay that's a great yeah that is a great pairing i love that um 
and again a movie with great performances and yes. and, and it's in very talky but um yeah so okay so that's one the other is is weirder but i was thinking like what's the what is the like opposite version of this or the opposite movie of this and that's sort of about uh thinking about like a focus on family and cultural traditions and but i but like like the male version of this i'm like this and the godfather actually would be really interesting to think about together you know you even do have a food preparation scene in the godfather you know you have that but but you but and you have these scenes of men talking and and but but there's also this sense of like the past and tradition but also do we change with the times and things like that so yeah again strange combination but i was like well those would be two interesting movies to have in conversation with each other or okay so so how, how okay as long as we're going to go in that in that direction what about one of your favorite films by bet's feast <laughs> oh there we go that absolutely 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 um <clears throat> Barry, is there anything else you want to talk about with this movie well i just want to say one more thing and that is don't watch this movie if you're hungry because the the you know, we, we live in the in the age of Instagram uh, food porn, but I have to say the way that the feast is filmed is incredibly inviting. Um, yes, absolutely. Okay, I, I, okay. You know, I, I'm going to play my usual game. I may you may not know this is my game, but it appears that I find ways to to mention David Lynch um, on almost any way that I can. It's like I play Six Degrees of David Lynch, but I couldn't help noting this that. Julie Dash started making notes for this film back in 1975 when she was a fellow at the American Film Institute. So who else was a fellow at the American Film David Institute? David Lynch. 1975 working on Eraserhead. David Lynch. Yes. That's interesting. <laughs> no, no evidence that they ever crossed paths, but still, it's, but I do not have a Lynch film to pair with this film. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so what do you have for us for next week? Okay. So, um, that is the end of this series on female directors for now. Lots of good films to come back to, but I want to go off on a, on a very different tangent. Um, and it's because there's a film I've been wanting to watch for quite a while in this podcast, but it hasn't been easily available. And now it is, but that's not the film we're going to watch next. We're going to set it up. You have to wait and see what that film is, but we're going to set it up with another film that is very, very different. And that is, Alfred Hitchcock's 1938, The Lady Vanishes, which wow. is uh, which is on Criterion uh, with a commentary as well. So I don't think we could have a bigger change of, of pace. <laughs> right. I, I'm very excited. I my, my as I've stated on this show, my my Hitch, I like Hitchcock, but I haven't seen a lot and I definitely haven't seen. This will by far be the earliest Hitchcock movie that I've seen. Yeah, it's one of his, I think it's his second to last British film because he makes the third, I think he makes the 39 steps the year after, but it's very, very late in his British uh, period. Fantastic. Well, I cannot wait uh, to watch that. Bear, thank you so much for uh, for recommending Daughters of the Dust, for watching this uh, with us, for having this conversation. Uh, that is all the time that we have, but we will be back next week to talk about The Lady Vanishes in the video store. 